0: Welcome to First Up, it's Rahina, it's Monday the 6th of March, kōneithin rādari On the programme this morning, LA radio legend Dick Hilton with news from the United States. New Zealand's biggest survey closes tomorrow, so we speak to Stats NZ about Census 2023. We hear from an Auckland couple who are running out of money after they were forced out of their dream home thanks to the floods, and an Auckland councillor is in despair about the ease with which new liquor stores are able to open, despite the immense harm that they cause.
1: Off licences, that's the liquor stores, only two have been refused so far in the year, whereas 440 were... Approved.
0: Kia ora everyone, welcome to First Up, Nathan Rarere here and we begin the week in North America with our correspondent Dick Hilton, who's with me now in Los Angeles. Kia ora Dick, how are you? I'm very well, uh, Nathan. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, sir. So tell me this, uh, former President Donald Trump, there he was addressing everyone at the uh, the CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference over the weekend. What was the reaction from his uh, the former party that loved him so? They still love
2: him so. I think that's the way <laughs> to uh, put it this morning. Uh, a lot of the people who have uh, still stayed with CPAC, however, are longtime Trump supporters. Uh, In fact, many people on this side uh, call it uh, TPAC now, the Trump Political Action Committee. So I think that the fact that uh, some of the uh, candidates that may uh, finally get into the race for the Republican nomination, the fact they were not there, uh, speaks to the fact that they didn't feel they would get a very warm reception uh, to begin with. So uh, the fact that uh, Trump still has that uh, wing of the party, uh, it's very strong for him. There's no question about that. Uh, he continues to lead in the polls over here when it comes to the nomination. But let's not forget, we're a long way uh, from any ballots being cast uh, for uh, a primary or a caucus or anything like that. Here, we're a, basically a year away. Hmm.
0: Just thinking here, with with him pushing forwards like this, um, and and him also, you know, being so popular now, will will the Republican Party? Do you feel that they will be pushed into having to nominate him?
2: Well, there are many people who believe that is the case. Let's be very uh, specific about this. Donald Trump continues to have a very strong hold on the Republican Party. Now, there are leaders within the party right now who wish that was not the case. And they're looking for another candidate because they believe that Trump carries a lot of baggage with him uh, because of things that happened during the, uh, re- the uh, his term. Uh, you know, from 2016 to 2020. uh, They feel that uh, they would have a better chance, perhaps, of going a different direction. Ron DeSantis, for example, the governor of Florida, who has yet to announce. uh, You have Nikki Haley, uh, who was Trump's ambassador to the UN, uh, former governor of South Carolina, uh, who has some support, but many see her candidacy right now as perhaps an attempt to be the vice presidential nominee, uh, perhaps under a Donald Trump should he win the nomination. So there is a long way to go uh, before Donald Trump uh, has the uh, nomination of the Republican Party. There's no question about that.
0: You know, I thought Ron DeSantis, though, was uh, DeSantis is becoming, you know, a name. I, I mean, heck, we've heard about him on this side of the planet. There's nothing to do with us. Um, he's getting quite big. But I see Donald Trump's advantage is actually growing. So wh- why do you think it is that, because Donald Trump hasn't been particularly relevant, why do you think that it's starting to grow over someone like Mr. DeSantis, who is currently relevant?
2: name recognition. Donald Trump was president of the United States and he does everything he can uh, to make sure that his name is somehow part of the news uh, cycle uh, every day here in the United States. Uh, He has a way of enduring uh, the uh, support of people who might not want to uh, give it to him, but he basically is the only person out there with whom they can identify. Uh, Donald Trump has seized upon something that many Americans feel. They feel as though they have been put aside, that they are not the people that are being thought about in the world of politics. He also has a lot of support now within the United States Congress, particularly within the House of Representatives. I'm sure you've talked about some of the individuals there that make a lot of noise within the Republican party. So certainly he does have the name recognition. But let's not forget, uh, you know, in, uh, when Barack Obama, for example, in 2008 became the nominee, Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee until she wasn't. Mm. Uh, in 2016, Rudy Giuliani was going to be the nominee until he wasn't. So there's a long way to go over here.
0: Right. It's uh, going to be some cold uh, few weeks uh, in the West Coast, I believe, still. I've seen plenty of snow there uh, for California. What's the latest yet for that cold burst for the West Coast?
2: Well, the cold burst uh, brought a lot of snow. If you just drive an hour east of where I am right now, and I'm pretty close to the uh, seashore uh, here in uh, the uh, L.A. area. But if you go an hour east, there is snow that is up to the rooftops in some of the mountain areas. Uh, it was an unprecedented snowfall, three, four five meters of snow in some areas. Uh, people would uh, try to open their front door. And the snow was all the way up to the roof. They couldn't get out. And for many uh, people, that is still the case. They have not been rescued yet because it has been such an unbelievable uh, effort on the part of the um, rescuers, if you will, uh, in those areas, whether it's the uh, California Highway Patrol, the Sheriff's Department or others, just trying to get to some of these people trying to get the roads open. It's, uh, it was rather remarkable, the amount of snow that we had. And unfortunately... Uh, there is another round of rain and or snow that it's headed our way over the next few days could exacerbate the problem even more. Oh my goodness!
0: And uh, finally, IndyCar season gets underway. We love that because there's a couple of Kiwis involved. Uh, have Have you noticed them? Have you heard of them?
2: Oh, of course I do. This uh, This is like um, Christmas in March for me when the <laughs> IndyCar season starts. Uh, I've been a long time fan of um, of uh, all the drivers. I've been going to uh, IndyCar races. Uh, um, for basically most of my life I grew up not far from the uh, Indy 500 track uh, in in Indianapolis Scott <laughs> Dixon Scott McLaughlin uh, they're in the race today in um, uh, St Petersburg Florida that race will get underway in about 50 minutes uh, from now um uh, Scott uh, McLaughlin of course won that race last year his first IndyCar win uh, he uh, qualified uh, Scott Dixon by a couple of spots in the race going uh, today and it's a, a street uh, race so uh, where you qualify and uh, the closer you are to the front of the pack when you've got underway on a street race, the better off you are.
0: Dick, thank you very much, sir. It's been wonderful to have you here. Here he is, Dick Hilton, out of Los Angeles If we here at First Up. Well, an international agreement aiming to protect the world's oceans has been reached after negotiations lasting more than 10 years. The High Seas Treaty is being hailed as a significant step by climate campaigners. The BBC's Esme Stellard has this report.
3: The high seas are home to most of the world's marine life, some two million species which provide food, jobs and medicines needed for human survival. After two straight days of negotiations, countries have agreed for the first time to work together to protect these ocean regions. The ship has reached the shore. We will formally adopt the text. Uh, in all six official languages of the United Nations. The world's international waters, or high seas, aren't controlled by any nation. Until now, all countries had a right to fish, ship and research in these areas. But it's left the animals and plants living there vulnerable. Ten percent of monitored species are at risk of extinction. I think
4: that this treaty that will lay the groundwork for creating... 30% of the ocean into marine sanctuaries that cannot be fished in is so important. We have to save these creatures. Talks were deadlocked for
3: years, mostly over how genetic material from plants and animals found in the high seas should be shared between nations. Several important drugs, including treatments for COVID, HIV and cancer, were developed from marine life. The potential for profit is huge. Now, richer nations have promised to give a share of the proceeds from any products developed from the deep ocean to developing countries. The problem they still face is working out the value of the deep seas.
5: It's a little bit hard to even wrap our heads around how big and how distant these areas are. So if you imagine like a a, a big high definition widescreen TV. Um, And if only like three or four of the pixels on that giant screen are working, that's kind of our knowledge of the deep ocean. Like it's, we don't know so much of what's going on.
3: An agreement might have been reached, but that is just the first step. Before it enters into force, 60 countries need to sign the treaty and incorporate it into their national legislation. It is hoped this will be finished within a few years.
0: That was Esme Stellard reporting from the UN in New York. Quarter past 5 we I've got to Europe now. With me in Germany is our correspondent, Nita Blake-Person. Morena, Nita.
6: Kia ora, Nathan.
0: Hey, we're all a week on from that train crash there in, in Greece, which claimed 57 lives. There's, there's been clashes outside Parliament. Uh, also an apology from the Prime Minister. Tell us the latest from there.
6: Well, Greece's Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, has asked for forgiveness along with that apology from the families of the 57 people who have died so far from the crash. There are still dozens of others in hospital. He uh, he put a Facebook post out that said, in the Greece of 2023, two trains heading in different directions cannot run on the same line and no one noticed. And that message came after days of protests. As you mentioned, there's been you know clashes. Thousands of people have turned out across the country, many of them protesting what they say are government you know, a lax government safety standards and ongoing neglect of the rail system and actually blaming the government for the crash. Officials have been attributing it to human error and there was an audio recording which was released in the past few days which seems to show a train driver being told to ignore a red light and a station manager has been charged but much of this public backlash is kind of saying this guy is a, a scapegoat, the station manager, and Greece's whole rail system has problems And one of the lawyers representing some survivors and family of the victims already says he intends to take legal action against several current and former government officials over this disaster. Yeah, it's
0: a sad outcome, isn't it, what's happened there? Speaking of legal action, why is the Dutch government being sued by some airlines?
6: Well... Basically, the airlines are not happy about plans to cut the number of flights operating from Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. airport. The, uh, the government wants to reduce annual flights from 500,000 to 440,000. The government says it's trying to find a balance between the economic benefits of a large airport, and this is the third largest in Europe, and a healthy living environment. But five airlines are very unimpressed. That's KLM, EasyJet, Delta, Tui and Corendon, because they believe those plans are in breach of EU and international law. And they say they're confident they can reduce noise and carbon emissions while keeping these flights going. They so far have the backing of the International Air Transport Association who have taken up a separate challenge. They think there's been no meaningful consultation with the industry about these plans. Um, And yeah, Just to put it in context, aviation makes up about 2.4% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And just uh, last week, scientists at the Royal Society warned that climate-friendly flying uh, remains pretty much out of reach at this stage as there are currently no clear alternatives to jet fuel. So not quite um, clear how they'll manage it another way, but that's where things are at there.
0: All right. Uh, Tell me about this. Germany's Olaf Scholz has met President Biden for talks at the White House. I mean, I know you weren't there. Obviously, you were busy, but um, I'm sure Ukraine war that'd be top of the agenda, would it?
6: I think there was no other topic that even got a look in. As you say, it wasn't there, but I think that was probably P1. Um, this was Schultz's first trip to Washington after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it was actually a pretty low-key meeting. There was no major dinner or the pomp and ceremony that sometimes these um, trans-Tasman events have. Uh, but there were some brief comments, and both leaders did make it clear to reporters they were meeting to discuss their response to the situation in Ukraine. They both praised their relationship relationship and unity and Biden acknowledged and um, thanked Olaf Scholz for his support in Kiev and also said he knew it hadn't always been easy kind of acknowledging some of the opposition there's been back here in Germany to the government's support and both countries are really determined right now to put up this united front um, amid concerns that China may become involved in this Ukraine conflict by supplying Russia with weapons. The US and there hasn't really been much evidence put up by them about those claims and China has denied them but that's kind of the backdrop that Germany and US are um, kind of trying to present this united front against.
0: Now Nita I should have mentioned this earlier on with the Schiphol story there about the airport but one of the big parts of air travel in the world is buying the Toblerone at the airport. Tell me about this the iconic airport chocolate Toblerone facing a packaging redesign. What?
6: Shock, shock, yes. yes. No more Matterhorn on the yellow packets. The iconic mountain, you know, which at the end on the triangle mm, is mm. being taken off uh, after some of Toblerone's chocolate production was moved outside Switzerland over to Slovakia. And this is because the Swiss have these strict marketing restrictions around the use of any Swiss iconography. Um, it's actually called Swissness legislation. Wow, Swissness. So I've to saying that five times swissness legislation and it restricts the use of the national uh, flags white cross on a red background and other indicators of swiss origin in products and services so for like foodstuffs to market themselves as made in switzerland 80 percent of the raw ingredients must be sourced there and the majority of the processing must take place there so because they're heading elsewhere toblerone now have to use a more generic mountain Apparently, it will still have the same triangular aesthetic, um, but it will now have to say established in Switzerland rather than made in Switzerland, and no more Matterhorn. No comment, though, on the uh, bar size or recipe, so hopefully those things remain the same.
0: Yeah, I was just having, I've just Googled Slovakian landmarks to see if there's anything else. (laughs) We've got Bratislava Castle, I've got Castle of Spirits, Uh, or rather a lot of castles pretty much a lot of castles there as well so maybe next week we'll meet back here at Nita and it might be some uh, castle chocolate going on thank you very much for your time out of Germany that's Nita Blake Person so many interesting uh, blowing flavours around now. You always get excited when you see them in the airport. It is 21 minutes past five. You're listening to Nathan and here at First Up on RNZ National. So um, only a day to go to fill out your your census form. Uh, We will be speaking to StatsNZ about that. And also Glenn Forsyth is with us soon. So we have a look at the weekend of fruit and veggies. I've lost
7: another lovely bunch
0: of cow now they are standing in there It's the music that means that the Minister of Fruit and Veggies is walking towards the ring. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morning, Glenn. How are you? Morning, Very well. Yourself? I'm pretty good. Tell me about, Tim, you've been um talking to the good folk at Macintosh Orchards. Tell us about Macintosh Orchards Round since the 80s.
4: Oh yeah, like one of our most fulfilling parts of the show with you, Nate, is talking about our growers, both big and small. And not sure if you've tried some of those beautiful large yellow flesh peaches, IP Variety Plus Plus they were, but they're from McIntosh Orchard in Alexandra. Now the orchard dates back to, when you say the 80s, 1881. Now in those days, the land was uh, balloted out into 10-acre blocks. Stuart McIntosh's great-grandfather James Muir, who was an old coal miner and stonemason at the time, He won the ballot and built the original old buildings that still partly stand today in McIntosh Road in Alexandra, central Otago. Now fast forward to today, Stuart and Sharon continued to expand the orchard with daughters Karen, Sarah and son Wayne, a true family business, 12 months of hard work and four months of fruit harvest finishing end of March. So their orchard has grown to 64 hectares and they grow all the summer fruit goodies. And their best lines for the home straight now include nectarines, peaches and peacherines. So ask for them by name, but you'll generally have more success finding them at leading independent greengrocer stores. Look out for the family brand as the Macintosh pride themselves on big, tasty, quality central Otago summer fruit. And it's wonderful having these these little growers still, you know, in existence, punting away and doing their thing.
0: They're great big peaches. I mean, it seemed like Val Adams would have to come and throw it for me to get it that far. They're huge. Uh, tell me about Very sweet. Huge. Tell me about sweet corn too. That's pretty good at the moment.
4: Yeah, it would be fair to say price of fresh produce will be up for February. However, more of a worry is March, the month we are in now, as walking around the markets this morning, there is very few vegetables in oversupply. Sweet corn. Now, they will run out soon, so definitely make the most of it this week. And the great thing about potatoes and carrots is we have different sizes available for different uses and recipes. Like in potatoes, there is a good range of large brushed ones or the smaller-sized gourmet pearl potatoes. And on carrots, new season table ones, that they call them in the market, or the cute and sweet better bites, variety. Courgettes, are in season. And some good news this morning, good supplies of broccoli, would you believe, with greens in short supply, a chance to be creative with broccoli, slice off the very bottom, but then slice up the, the whole stem. We've talked about this, like beans, and put them in the stir fry. They are sweet, tasty, a great cost saving, and substitute for beans currently. And you're not throwing, you know, any vegetable matter down the sink or in the trash can. Shanghai bok choy also in kind supply, and these cute little things make up, a, you know, make a top addition in the stir fry too. You know, towards the end of cooking, one so you yeah, give that a go this week. But nice to see a green and good supply.
0: Yeah, I'm in favour of the uh, the broccoli stalk too. Can tell you that. Hey, um, it also is,
4: yeah. mandarins, naval naval oranges around
0: at the moment too.
4: Oh wow, the USA Nem- lemons and mandarins they sold uh, like hotcakes. So if you're lucky to get some mandies, they were very popular when they hit our shores last week. We do have their naval oranges and blood red fresh oranges, and better supply, however, some tropical fruit available includes fresh tropical gold mangoes. Uh, big, pardon gold, pineapple, should I say and Peruvian mangoes. New season apples and pears, are starting to fill up the supply chain pretty swiftly now. Now we are lucky, Central Otago missed the way, uh, the worst of the recent weather events as their golden peaches are coming through now they're magic. Hope you got to try some of the jumbo sized Fijos as well, that you said looked like hand grenades that was hilarious. And the fresh figs at the market continue to impress. Though not grown in large quantities in New Zealand there is a ready response to them on the market. Now one of the quickest and easiest Ways to enjoy these gems is by removing the stem and taking a bite right out of the raw fig. Top five health benefits is promoting digestive health, rich in antioxidants, and may support healthy blood pressure, bone health, and improve diet quality. On the figs, there, Nate. Beautiful,
0: there we are. There's nothing more you could ask for. That's all your fruit, that's all your veggies, that's all you need. It's Glen
7: Forsyth, the minister.
2: Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The 6th of
0: March. Happy birthday, Shaquille O'Neal. 51 years old today. If you just said Shaq, a lot of people on the planet know exactly who you're speaking about. There you go. Happy birthday, to Aspirin, which was patented on this day by Felix Hoffman for Bayer in 1899. In 1924, the mummy case of King Tutankhamun was opened. So I said, what's a mummy case? I had a look and fell down the rabbit hole. Basically, it's the massive room, uh, the intact burial chamber, filled with an array of treasures, including jewellery, pottery, furniture, statues. The most significant find, however, was the king's sarcophagus, which contained his mummified remains. The mummy was adorned with that solid gold death mask, which is very famous now. Yes. On this day in 1964, American boxer Cassius Clay said, "No more. I am now Muhammad Ali," given that name by his spiritual mentor Elijah Muhammad, leader of the Nation of Islam. And on this day in 2018, the world's oldest message in a bottle was bottle was found there in Western Australia. So it was from a German ship called the Paula in 1886, and basically these people found this message in its side when they when they opened it up. It said the message printed said, "Contact the German consulate." And tell them where you found this. So they did. And apparently in 1899, what happened was a whole lot of bottles were thrown overboard from boats. Because they wanted to try and test what happened with ocean drift. And that was how they did it. So they said if you find one of these bottles, write back. Well, they've only ever found two of them. Um, So there you are. That one apparently was probably buried under sand about a week after it was thrown in the water. And stayed there since 1899. Discovered in 2018. The oldest message in a bottle ever. From the business team, it's Ananzaki Zaki. Kia ora, how are you? Morena, very well. How are you? Very good. Can, uh, can we just jump to this Zoom boss story, uh, just, just to
8: open the batting wood today? It's interesting, I'm, right? Yeah.
0: I, I'm interested in this. Zoom boss fired without
8: cause. What What is this? Yeah, this, is, uh, this has got to be one of the most uh, interesting things to come out of the business world over the past couple of days. Um, because of the lack of information around it, really, uh, the president... Of Zoom, uh, the video conferencing platform uh, has been sacked. Uh, the BBC is uh, reporting that Greg Toomb, uh, who's a former Google executive, he was fired w- without cause, uh, according to a regulatory filing. He took up the role very recently in June 2022, uh, and he's been active on uh, the company's earnings calls, uh, investor calls. So it's just come out of the blue. Uh, and he reported directly to the company's founder Eric Yuan so uh, one can only imagine uh, this decision wouldn't have been signed off without Eric Yuan's uh, blessing uh, zoom of course was uh, one of the tech success stories during the pandemic as people worked from home they just took off of course there were zoom weddings zoom funerals around the world mm. um but recently, it's been difficult for the company, which has struggled to maintain that pandemic boom. And like many other tech firms, it's it's had to lay off uh, a lot of workers. So this is uh, one of those stories. It's come out of the blue, and it's just worth keeping an eye on to see what else comes out of this. Yes. And uh, apparently people not confident in their houses or not. Co- what, is, what is housing
0: confidence falling? What is this?
8: Well, yeah, probably no surprises uh, that people aren't confident uh, in the housing market at the moment. Um, now, pessimism around house price expectations uh, has fallen close to lows um, last seen uh, during the global financial crisis of 2008. Uh, this is... Uh, according to the ASB Housing Confidence Survey, uh, so in the three months to January, uh, about a net 43% of people expected uh, house prices to fall in the coming year, and that's um, compared to 31% the previous quarter. So. During the global financial crisis um, it was as bad as 55% so not quite at that level but we are getting there. Now this is just one of those surveys that we keep an eye on every quarter because It gives us a sense of uh, what people's expectations are around the housing market. Uh, It's a good health indicator and housing plays a big part in uh, people's livelihoods, of course. Um, Now, ASB senior economist uh, Kim Mundy said, uh, unlike the 2008 financial crisis, this time it's the uh, rapidly rising interest rates that's what's uh, causing the housing market to fall. Uh, for example, at a, at the start of a recession, house prices may fall because people are losing jobs and they can't service their mortgage and, and they have to sell up. Not the case uh, this time so far. Uh, mortgage arrears are still relatively low, but they are climbing. Uh, now, ASB reckon sentiment around the housing market is uh, likely to fall further um, due to the outlook of more rate hikes. Uh, So it's going to be another long year ahead for the housing market. Here it is. Uh,
0: and thank you very much from your, uh, for your time. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 1027. If your money markets are the places that you are going with your New Zealand dollar, this is what you are buying 62.2 US cents, 91.91 Australian cents, 58.49 Euro cents, 51.66 British pence, 4.2 yuan, and 84.53 Japanese yen. been locked in the sports department all weekend. We're nearly ready to let him out, but not until the end of today, because there's still sevens on. It is Joe Porter in the RNZ Sports Department. Kia ora, how are you?
9: Morena, good, thank you.
0: Lots and lots to look at. Should we have a look at, God, the breakers last night. A, a yay-boo weekend, I put it down as.
9: <laughs> Started okay. Started fantastic, yeah. going to Sydney against the defending champions in their own backyard and, and managing to take a pretty convincing win, just far too good in that first game. Heading back to Auckland with a chance to go two up in the best of five series and... Unfortunately, at a sold-out Spark Arena, they couldn't get it done. They lost 81-74, and not only that, but the Sydney Kings were undermanned, missing their MVP, so... Yeah, not the best night for the Breakers. Perhaps nerves in front of their home fans and all the rest of it. I don't know. It's been a long run for them, got the best of them. But, of course, the series is now tied one all. heads back to Sydney for Game 3 on Friday. So, yeah, the grand final series all on in the NBL. And, look, both teams having a win in the first two games, you'd have to imagine it's going to be pretty competitive from now on.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, that does at least mean that there's another game at Spark in the final series, so, so that's yeah. good.
9: Uh, what about, where do you want to go next? Super
0: Rugby? Have a look at that.
9: Yeah, Super Rugby, I mean, what did you make of the weekend's results? They were probably fairly predictable. The Blues will be the most disappointed, I would imagine. That was Uh, the
0: one that wasn't, I I didn't predict that one.
9: Yeah, the Brumbies have consistently been the best Aussie team the last few years, haven't they? They yeah. play that style of rugby that teams that like to play with the ball can struggle against at times. They weren't in their fortress in Canberra, and so it was Melbourne. It was hot. I would have thought they would have suited the Blues, but two early yellow cards was really the undoing of yeah. of the Blues yesterday evening over, over the ditch. So, yeah, um, look, disappointing for them. They, they really do consider themselves genuine title contenders. Their All Blacks would really like to win a super title they hate the bragging rights the Crusaders have among that group when they go away together as All Blacks. But, uh, yeah, look, if they are going to drop games like that, they may not get there. But, hey, the Crusaders lost their first one too. It's early days in the season, so you can't really judge too much too early on, I don't think. No. Uh, And uh, opening round for the Rugby League. Yeah, well, the Warriors had a great one. Unfortunately, it was in front of an almost empty stadium in Wellington. Uh, I wonder why that one wasn't at Mount Smart. Perhaps there was a clash. I'm not sure, but well, either way, yeah, great I know one that for the was,
0: Yeah, I know that was what Newcastle's home game. So good on them, oh, at least were, okay, for, for stepping up to do that. Because remember the whole oh we're all grateful to the Warriors. Good yeah. on your blokes for stepping up. We'll support you. And then when it's 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 like what was it called? Chicken licking or whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> Henny Penny. <laughs> Who wants to have a home game? No, not yeah. us. But the Newcastle Knights at least let them uh, do it. But there yeah, dis- I think disappointing too because you do see a lot of a uh, lot of jerseys around in Wellington. Where yeah, it just- was
9: disappointing, but the, the team will be pleased with the result. And look, you know, they've made yeah. uh, seven seven changes, I think, to the starting team from the end of last year off season signings, new coach. Um, some of the big names dropped to the bench for that first game, but they played really well. They looked solid. Uh, yeah, promising signs from the Warriors. Yeah, won't say anything more than that.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look. Let's do that. And we'll, do it. well, I mean, look, look. Um, they, I think, I think mid-table is a good result for them this year yeah. to get to uh, yeah. on the on the stepping stone to uh, being in the finals. There, well, you know, I mean, I mean the the semis and the finals, finals in a couple of years' time. But of them top eight this year is a is a wonderful finish for them. Thank you very much, much, Joe. There you are. Joe Porter with us, of course, uh, the Sports Department with you across the day. Well, more than 2,700 homes in Auckland have been red or yellow-stickered thanks to record-breaking floods this year, but some owners who were given white placards by council say that that is not necessarily a clean chit. West Auckland resident Simon Urban is one of those. He's living in a rental unit while remedial work is underway at his white stickered property. Since he's back, uh no, sorry, since he's in a property that, according to the council, doesn't have structural damage, I asked him if he could, you know, feel like maybe he could just move back in soon.
5: Certainly not. The floodwaters were knee height through the inside of our house. Wow. They've had to rip out the kitchen laundry or the flooring or the walls. The contamination and the smell is unbearable, even with as much cleaning as we've done. It's certainly not safe to live in. I'm sure there's probably mould and other contaminants that we can't even see. Yeah, we've had to make the move to temporary accommodation. But for how long that's for is anybody's guess. We can't really get any timelines on repairs or or what's going to happen. It's all... Very, very unknown they, for a lot of people, I guess.
0: So they haven't given you any idea of when you can expect to move back in, or is it very much a how long is a piece of string situation?
5: It's definitely how long-is-a-piece-of-string situation. I've heard estimates anywhere from 6 to 18 months, but I know from experience last time, because we did flood 18 months ago and had yeah. just finished repairing everything and putting in a new kitchen and redoing everything how we liked it, it definitely... It took quite a while with supply chains and building material shortages and things. So, I mean, I'd expect it probably wouldn't be a year before everything's back to usable.
0: <laughs> so, you know, you're describing that, that flood from 18 months ago that went through there as well. So when did you buy the mm-hmm. the property? And did anyone tell you before that there'd been any kind of flood water that had come through?
5: Or was that uh, was it something that you'd even thought to ask? We definitely did. our. So we bought about four and a half in 2018, yeah, about four and a half years ago, mm. we were aware that it was a um, like a flood plain, like a overflow area. Mm. We talked to some neighbours. We did our own research and looked at the topography of the park and the area and how much would have to flood before it would get into our place. And from what we found, it was a very, very minimal risk, perhaps a once-in-100-year a type event. Maybe it might happen once while we're living there, but we certainly didn't expect six times in 18 months for, right. for it to come through our section so yeah I think the the council are definitely underestimating the the frequency of these types of events when you're living in floodplains. absolutely um, and our area is a for terraced housing and apartments so they're whacking up great big apartment buildings on the sites of you know where a single family home was so there's down the road, there's one that's got 36 apartments in it that was once a single-family home. So I'm sure that it's having some sort of impact on where the water's going and, and the drainage. And, and it's a definitely um, a rapidly changing neighbourhood. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: hearing this, do you think when you look at yeah. it, it's like
5: our house should be a, a red or a yellow sticker? To be honest, I think the, the inspections were pretty minimal. (laughs) It happened on a day when we'd just popped out for half an hour for lunch. And when we came back, there was a sticker whacked on the window. And and that was that we didn't really, they didn't go inside the house. They didn't look at the garage, which does have quite significant structural damage. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, probably too quick of a process. I know of other families who had similar flood levels through their houses, and they've got yellow stickers on their property. So we didn't get a lot of feedback or explanation about what that really meant for us. So, yeah, the the communication from the council and stuff has been pretty much zero the whole time.
0: (laughs) Are they easier to get hold of now then, like, for you to be able to
5: uh, update information for yourself? Uh, not in my experience and same with the insurance company. They, they were pretty good in the first week and we haven't managed to get through to them for about three weeks now. So we're currently paying rent and a mortgage and rates and all the other expenses that come with, with that. We're fortunate to have a bit of savings up our sleeve, but it's definitely taking its toll in many ways, now. Yeah, but I mean, like you wouldn't be
0: expecting to use, you know, the 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 savings you've got are probably for golden years and things you can think of later on. Would <laughs> It's not. It's not really about renting out a, a unit, is it? Uh, to pay for that, so so insurance no. they
5: won't come to the party to to help you out with this. We do have cover for temporary accommodation. Yeah, but. It's just a matter of trying to get a hold of them. It's I'm trying to be as understanding as I can because I know they're very overwhelmed, as everyone is. It's a pretty desperate situation now, so we've left messages and emails and calls, and yeah, it really doesn't feel like we have much support at all, to be honest.
0: be more stories like that around too I tell you, uh, we're on our way to 6 o'clock Nathan Radity here at RNZ National here on First Up. So between now and the end of the programme you're going to hear from Auckland Councillor Joe Bartley who's got massive concerns about how easy it is to get liquor store licences uh, despite the immense harm being caused uh, to the suburbs around her and also we're joined live by one of the people behind the census because you've only got one day left. <laughs> Alright, let's find out what's happening on Morning Report it's only with Guyon. How are you, sir? Kia
7: ora, good morning. How's things with you? I'm very good. You're looking very sprightly and oh, bright and energised as well. It was a
0: test of my fan width over the weekend oh. to see if I could get enough of that sport in and I couldn't. It was too much for me
7: we are looking this morning at the education ministry and the qualifications authority sort of at loggerheads over these high failure rate, rates in the literacy and numeracy tests. Mm. You've got a pilot in the middle of last year mainly aimed at year 10s. Pass rates of 34% in writing, 56% in maths and 64% in reading and this idea that uh, students should be able to use spell check in a in an exam and a writing test. Yeah, maybe they'd be using chat GP. In the yeah, coming so years. Weird, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, we're going to speak to the Education Minister, Jantonetti, about that, and yes. uh, Erica Stanford from the National Party. She's um, been gathering some of this information and in OIA requests, as has our own John Gerritsen. So, we'll be speaking to him in terms of what he's found out. Hmm. It's always an interesting one that, in terms of what techniques and what strategies we're using, so we'll get stuck into that. Another interesting story in Morning Report this morning this idea of drug testing for drivers. Yes. Haven't been able to get the um, the right equipment, the police haven't got a, a, a proper um, device that they can use and so that policy which was supposed to come in this year won't be doing they won't be doing the roadside t- testing the AA is concerned about that so we'll speak to them. And story you might be interested in too, Cameron Brown's 50 year old triathlete who has got 7th in the triathlon Ironman. Oh just
0: sit down, learn about the couch what are you doing?
7: <laughs> 7 hours something at 50 years old oh. so sort of our vintage Yeah, and um, yeah so you know, yeah, r- running a marathon after doing a, um, you know, what is it, one eighty on the bike and four k in the water. You yeah. get off that and and do your <laughs> and do your marathon. And what do they still do?
0: Still? Going from the cycle to the run is always the great fun. But yeah, so we'll be we'll be talking to him actually. Fifty year old uh, oh Iron speaking. Man. Always um, done well. Cheers Guy Well yes. thank you very much Nice one Yeah uh, Well hey New Zealand's biggest survey Is underway as we speak uh, You just know about this You've got one day left To fill out your 2023 census forms Now following on From the low response In the 2018 Online census This year Stats NZ Is giving people Additional avenues To complete the forms Deputy Chief Executive Census and Collections Operations Simon Mason Joins us now Simon Thank you very much For this How are you tracking um, As far You know When you Compare it, I guess, to the low responses from 2018. Do you know, are we better this time around? I'm
10: wondering, Nathan. Uh, Look, a big fan of your show. My wife uh, loves waking up next to you in the mornings. Brilliant. Um, (laughs) In in terms of response rate, look, uh, as the team have informed me last night, that we just ticked over a million pre responses to census. as of about 9:45 last night, which is which is good. Um, we'd like to have probably seen uh, a bit more. And census day is tomorrow, so um, still plenty of time for people to do their censuses, um, and there'll be time after after that to, to submit it.
0: Okay, right. So if you haven't filled it out by the end of tomorrow, it's you're not going to jail or anything.
10: No, no, no. We'll um, we'll send some people out um, to those addresses that we haven't received anything from um, to see if we can help out in in any way. And people, if they don't have the materials that they need, can ring us on 0800 Census to get a hold of any forms that they may want or even ask us any questions around how to complete the census.
0: Have you heard from some people, because apparently some people got delivered two census forms. Why, Why do they get two forms?
10: They did. We're, um, we're we're trying to be really helpful this time around because we didn't do a, a great job of enabling people with the paper that they needed last time. So mm-hmm. this time around, um, about 1.5 million people um, received an additional um, bit of paper uh, and additional code to help them fill in the census. So um, so 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 they should have all the materials that they uh, need in order to do that. Oh, okay.
0: Now, obviously, I mean, Cyclone Gabrielle uh, arrives here at a time where a lot of people are dealing with with some huge stuff in their life right now. How has the, the Cyclone affected the, the census and your ability to get them out there and then also to, I guess, to collect these? Because some of these houses just don't exist anymore.
10: Yeah, that's right. Look, the cyclones posed a, a, a real problem for us logistically. notwithstanding that, you know, a lot of people um, uh, are spending uh, huge amounts of time trying to recover. So we don't want to add um, a, a extra burden to them by... Um, getting them to do a census right right here and right now so the, the government's actually given us some additional time to collect in those areas um, and the experience we're still working through what the experience will be for those areas because um sending a collector to to somebody's house when, when you know they don't have a mailbox they may not even have a house uh isn't the right thing to do and not, not the right experience that we want to have uh, for those uh, those new zealanders who have been badly affected so we're actually going to looking at more of a community-based approach for that. So that will will depend on the particular parts of um, New Zealand as to what that looks like.
0: Simon as I understand it you're collecting a lot of information that helps for New Zealand's ability to plan in years uh, that are coming but I do notice that recently I see them a lot over the internet what have you people saying I'm a sovereign citizen I don't really belong to this you know these laws don't affect me I don't have to fill out one of those what what do you do with those people and how do you count them in the country's concerns.
10: So um, we, we've not seen a lot of that at the moment, uh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, there's a bit out, a bit out there on on social media. Um, a lot of actually, uh, a lot of what's happening on, on particularly on social media, is being governed by other social media users. So you know, where those views are being. Um, uh, being portrayed, other users jumping on and saying, "Hey, it's a really great opportunity for you to um, to tell the government uh, what your situation is and um, have them provide funding to to support your needs." So um, it's it's really good to see some of um, some of that coming through as well.
0: Yeah, well, look, Simon. Thank you uh, very much for taking on the uh, the job of maths, meaning that I don't have to, because uh, I'll be terrible at it. So it's wonderful that you're there for us, Simon Mason. There, hopefully, with the information that you need there uh, about the census there for 2023, because obviously, I mean, we, we realise some of you got some huge life things going on at the moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, you've got a little bit of grace to get that finished. But anyway, get your census forms done if you can. <music> I sent mine in early last week, and then I had that bit in my head thinking, oh, better not die between now and then, because it'll bugger up the survey. Anyway, uh, an Auckland councillor is fighting to keep liquor stores away from a suburb in her constituency, fearing it could become a wash with booze, as in neighbouring areas. Maunga Kiki Tamaki ward councillor Josephine Bartley says the shops in Point England are sitting ducks to become off licensed liquor outlets. We began by discussing the council's process involving the local alcohol protection bill.
1: You know, we did a whole lot of community action, community protests, consultations to try and do something about all the alcohol harm in our communities. And so we believed in the local alcohol policy that this was going to provide some protection by putting freezers in our area of new liquor licenses being approved. So finally putting a stop to too many new liquor stores opening up in our community because we already have enough. And I think it's now seven years we've been waiting for the protection of the local alcohol policy because it's been held up in court action by the supermarkets.
0: Okay so so Josephine just so I can understand it so there is actually the ruling there to say don't open new ones but have new ones continued to open?
1: Yes because we don't have that overlay that protection of the temporary freeze. Right. So new ones continue to be open and I talked in the select committee hearing about how off-licences, that's the you know liquor stores, hmm. only two have been refused so far in the year, whereas 440 were approved.
0: My goodness. So what do you see happening in other suburbs as a result of liquor stores that, that gives you concern?
1: People have to go and object, and people are too busy trying to survive to go through an objection process when another liquor store is proposed to be open in the area. So I just see more liquor stores opening and I see more underage drinking, people going and getting, oh, I've seen people in the morning go to the liquor store, buy a box of Codies, go to the dairy, buy the bread and the toilet paper,
5: mm.
1: and then head into the park and drink. And you've got all the smashed bottles and cans lying around in the park, you can't use the park because people are drunk in there. Just the brawling. I used to do community patrols. And you know, so often there was brawls, fights. And it's all alcohol related. And you ask the police, the biggest issue is alcohol. It's domestic violence. Some. I mean, I'm speaking personally here. But Friday night when parents are drinking, And then you have domestic violence result. It's all from alcohol. Do you think then, Josephine, that there's a way that
0: that this will be hurried along? Because like you say, it's there set to go, yet for some reason it hasn't been actioned. Like how do we get this, if, if the ruling is already there, how do we get it actioned in time?
1: Action in time would be amazing. But because the supermarkets have appealed against the council, it's still held up. So we actually don't have the local alcohol policy protection at all. Right. That's why our Auckland Council supports what the government is trying to do in this bill to remove the right to appeal local alcohol policies. And then also uh, this bill that I was presenting on from Auckland Council, we support having more community participation in the um, objection process. That being said, it still doesn't stop liquor licenses being approved. So that's where we need our local alcohol policy in place so that we can have some guidelines for the district licensing committee when they make their decisions about whether to approve or not with all these liquor licenses, because currently they don't have very much uh, guidelines.
0: Yeah, oh, it sounds like a terrible situation. Thanks for bringing it um to everyone's uh, attention, really, because um, yeah, that's, this has got to be action, particularly if, like you say, you, you're seeing an increase in violence and that that can happen out of it. Just something else, we noticed you tweeted there that you were you're in a committee meeting, listening to people, councillors there, men talk about their boats and needing council to provide cleaning stations for them. That's got to be pretty hard to sit there in a meeting like that, and you must have been thinking for yourself. We've got flood victims that we should be dealing with. Did that cross your mind?
1: I was emailing MPs, officers, MSD regional commissioner to try and get a home for one particular family, a family of eight that uh, have to live in their van when they can't all fit in their relatives' homes. Mm. So they're sleeping in their van. And yeah, I just was really struggling to to make the connection like this is the problem. I mean, they are so lucky that that is the problem that they're facing, is somewhere to clean their boats. They are so lucky. I don't think those people understand how lucky they are, that that's all they have to worry about.
0: That was Monga Keke Tamaki Ward Councillor Josephine Bartley. And uh, that is all for uh, First Up This Morning. Finally this morning, sixteen thousand at Warriors game in Wellington is 50,000 in Auckland. population basis also league is a largely lower class game and wellington doesn't have the huge lower class that auckland has okay Uh, morning reporters next with Guy and corin from all of us here at first tap have a wonderful day we're back in news bye bye